Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Uh, Before we get into uh, our topic for today, I want to follow up on last week uh, for just a moment. Last week, we talked about uh, collaborating, working alongside other organizations uh, in our area who, like us, want to build relationships with people, to love people like Jesus loves so that we can have conversations with them about the love of Jesus. We talked to Lisa last week, who's the director of Family Promise in our area. Family Promise is an organization that is helping uh, meet families in their uh, needs of homelessness or maybe being right on the precipice of falling into homelessness. They help care for them, love them, rally the church to love them. Uh, And then on Monday, we had uh, a business owner in our congregation take a bunch of their employees over to Family Promises site and do uh, gather their employees together, do a whole bunch of little service projects for them, helping repair, upkeep, build some things, all of that kind of stuff. So we talked to Lisa on Sunday, Monday, business owner from our congregation, got people there working, uh, serving, doing awesome things. Did we know that was gonna happen? Not at all. Uh, nor do we need to. Uh, We planned our conversation with Lisa without knowing what was going on. We didn't know what they were doing when we planned it. All of those things. And yet it is an example of somebody in our congregation, in our church community, using their resources, what they have available to them, to come alongside, to collaborate with these ministries in town that are doing good things, caring for people in the name of Jesus. Now, not everybody is going to have those same resources, but whatever our resources are, as the people who make up the church, we get to come alongside other people who are serving in Jesus' name and and love our community together. Uh, I do want to... uh, tell you about two other organizations, maybe opportunities that you might have if you connect better with these than with Family Promise to use the gifts and resources God has given you to bless our community. Uh, The first one is Love, Inc. Love, Inc. is an organization that supports uh, the people in our community through meeting really practical needs. Maybe it's cleanup or small building projects or or furniture for uh, low-income residents of Cowlitz County. Uh, This year, Love, Inc. is organizing what they're calling Servant Week. So in the middle of June, June 20 through 26, so if you're a calendar person, you may want to get that on your calendar, June 20 through 26, they're doing Servant Week. Their goal is to gather people from churches all over the area to serve in our community for seven consecutive days as a whole. No individual will be asked to serve for seven consecutive days, although you certainly could. Nobody's going to stop you. But what they're hoping to do is have people sign up And they will give you a four-hour chunk in that week that works for you on some project that you care about. So in the back, in our welcome area, you will find a piece of paper, a double-sided thing from Love, Inc. that you can take home with you and fill out. And you can get to Love, Inc. or you can get it back to us and we'll scan and email it to Love, Inc. And on that form... You can say, I'm available these days and these times, morning, afternoon, evening, and I'm interested in these projects. And they have projects from garbage pickup 
to knocking on doors and finding out what people need, to spreading bark dust, to things that require uh, carpentry skills and those kind of things. So whatever it feels like your gifting fits, you could sign up, get that form to Love, Inc., and then they will say, hey, here's your time slot that you said you're available. Here's the project we're working on. We would love to have your help collaborating together, all these churches with this ministry to help support our community. Uh, the other uh, organization I want to tell you about is Caring Pregnancy Center. Uh, every year on Mother's Day, uh, a bunch of baby bottles show up in our welcome area. Those are not for you to take home to a baby that you know and love uh, to actually use. Um, if you need bottles, we will hook you up with that. Those are for people to take and fill with their loose change. So you take it home uh, between now and Father's Day. You fill it up with your loose change or your dollar bills, or a large check, or whatever you might be able to fit in there. Uh, and you bring it back on uh, Father's Day to support the ministry of Caring Pregnancy Center, meeting the needs of young moms and dads who are in situations that they maybe didn't want or didn't expect. Uh, we actually have a video that uh, will explain that a lot better than I can. So check this out. Did you know your change could change lives? Every bottle can make a difference. By filling your baby bottle with your loose change and dollar bills, you can impact the lives of those of our community who are facing the crisis of unexpected pregnancy. Your baby bottle could literally change or save a life. Anyone can fill a baby bottle. Invite your family, your friends, little ones, teens, neighbors, and coworkers to fill a bottle too. The funds raised will help us as we serve moms, dads, and their babies each day, offering help, support, and the resources they need to make a life-affirming decision. Your change will help us provide pregnancy tests, life-changing counsel, education, baby supplies, and more. Take your bottle home and fill it to the top. When you return your bottle, you are giving the gift of hope. Thank you for making a difference for life. Okay, the baby noises at the end might have been a little unfair, but they're very cute. Uh, so between, so grab a baby bottle on your way out today. Between uh, now and Father's Day, fill it up with all the loose change you can find legally and uh, bring that back. I just I felt the need to clarify. Bring that back on, uh, on Father's Day and, and that will uh, be a huge blessing to our community, to people who are in need of it um, and come alongside the great work that Caring Pregnancy Center is doing. Um, and it said bring it back full, which please, by all means, bring it back full. Uh, some people go, ooh, it's not full, or ooh, I forgot to fill it. Bring it back anyway. They would love to have their bottles back for next year. But uh, please, by all means, bring it back full. So I want to pray for uh, Love, Inc. Um, and uh, Servant Week. I want to pray for Caring Pregnancy Center and their uh, fundraiser and uh, for the rest of our time together this morning. Uh, before I do that, really quick, uh, Cheryl, can you raise your hand real quick? Uh, to, to, I won't put you too much on the spot. Cheryl is the director of Caring Pregnancy Center. Um, and so if you have questions about how to get involved in the ministry Caring Pregnancy Center is doing, uh, please connect with Cheryl. Um, and as I am uh, praying for Caring Pregnancy Center and for Love, Inc., um, if you're sitting kind of near Cheryl, can, uh, you know, don't bombard her, but can you uh, point a hand in her direction? I want to pray for Cheryl and for the ministry that she's a part of. Let's pray. 
Father God, we do thank you that there are these uh, people, organizations in town who are seeking to love our community in really practical ways. And we want to come alongside. We want to support. We want to bless them. We want to pray for them. Father, I don't know how many lives have been changed through Love, Inc. and Caring Pregnancy Center over the years, but I know it is a lot. And I don't know how many lives can be changed by one church deciding that we want to be a part of seeing lives transformed in your name, seeing people loved and cared for as you love them. But I'm sure it's a lot. Father, would you bless the work of Love, Inc. and of Caring Pregnancy Center? Would you bless uh, Matt and Love, Inc.? Would you bless Cheryl and her work with Caring Pregnancy Center? Would you give them strength and endurance? Would you give them wisdom for, and clarity for the decisions that need to be made? God, would you create an outpouring, both in uh, hands and feet, <laughs> for the service that needs to be done, um, and in finances, to help support the projects and programs that you are calling these organizations to step into? Father, thank you for all the ways that you have blessed them and that you continue to bless our community through Love, Inc. and Caring Pregnancy Center. Father God, as we open ourselves to you and what you may want to do in us, what you may want to transform in our lives and in our community, would you connect our hearts to the mission you have for each of us? Would you stir in us a desire to see people loved and cared for and pointed toward you? Would you create in this time and space a desire that moves us forward into following you in whatever next steps you're calling us to take? Father, I'm grateful for your grace. I'm grateful for your call to us for more. I'm grateful that you walk every step with us. And we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've perhaps heard the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If the American dream runs at the speed of industry, the American dreamer runs at the speed of industrious individualism. Outwork, outhustle, outmaneuver the competition, and make no mistake, everybody out there is either competition, an enemy, or a tool because that's the way that industry works. We make idols out of achievement and efficiency and platform all in the name of making a name for ourselves. We so badly want to be and do something significant. Alone is more efficient. Alone is faster. Alone allows us to take the credit. And as many of us have discovered, alone protects us from getting hurt by other people. A movie the girls and I were watching last weekend, the main character said, I was never lonely when I lived in the jungle by myself, but now I'm in this city surrounded by people and I've never been lonelier. And yet with all the efficiency and the protectiveness of being alone, our brains are hardwired to light up when we're connecting with other people. Here's the truth. Your greatest joys, growth, and significance will always happen in community. And if you're the note-taking type, there's your first one. Your greatest joys, growth, and significance will always happen in community. Joy that's done in solitude eventually fades or falls flat 
Suffering done alone festers and blisters and deepens. Our greatest joys, our greatest growth, our legacy all happen as we impact and are impacted by others. And scripture is clear that life is made to thrive in community. God started it, Jesus modeled it, and the early church followed it. If the American dream moves at the pace of industry, the gospel, the good news of God's love, moves at the pace of relationship. God's love is shared, shown, and served at the speed of relationship and community. We are called to be community people, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus together. We're in a season of talking about next steps, uh, next steps for us as a church and next steps for each of us, for you and me as we follow Jesus, as we're following after Jesus together, followers of Christ What next steps is God asking you to take? We're looking at being transformed by Christ and looking to see our community of Callis County transformed by Christ. For us, part of this transformation is going to mean a growth in our understanding and our engagement with in the truth of our small groups being relevant and transforming. Growth in intention in our disciple-making relationships. And we're pursuing these things, not just because we believe God is calling us to, although certainly that, but because of this truth that we see in Scripture. Disciples of Jesus are in intentional relationships. I'm not quoting a verse here. This is just a pattern we see Throughout Jesus' life and ministry and the ministry that follows, disciples of Jesus are in intentional relationships. Choosing to follow Jesus means choosing to be mindful and proactive and intentional about choosing our relationships, just as Jesus was. Now, we could look at any of the Gospels, these uh, four stories of Jesus' life that start the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Or we can just dig into one of them. John makes a great one because it starts right from the beginning. And also because if uh, you've never dug into scripture, you've heard other people read it, other people talk about it, you've never really known how to engage in it or known where to start. It's a big book, got tiny words and little numbers in it. The book of John is a great one. And there's no shame in using the table of contents. It's the fourth book in the New Testament Start there and see who Jesus is to you. In John chapter one, one of the first things we see in John's gospel is that Jesus chooses 12 disciples. He chooses a group of people to do life with. In John chapter two, Jesus performs his first miracle. He turns water into wine at a wedding at this larger community, this extended family and friends, some people he's probably meeting for the first time, some he may never see again. In John 3, we see one of the most famous verses of our day, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is something Jesus said in a 
one-on-one conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. And there may have been other people around, we don't know, but Jesus was choosing to have an intentional one-on-one discipleship conversation with Nicodemus. And then in John 4, we see Jesus talking to a woman no respectable Jewish man would lower himself to talk to. She's from Samaria. Jesus meets her in Samaria. Jesus and his Jewish friends are not supposed to be going through Samaria. They're supposed to hate Samaritans so much that they go around. But they go straight through. And he meets this woman at the well getting water in the middle of the day, in the hottest part of the day, because she didn't want to be there in the morning. See, Jesus and this woman are not supposed to be talking to each other. Jews and Samaritans are not supposed to be choosing to talk to one another. Uh, This would be like if a uh, pro-choice, anti-business liberal and a uh, anti-abortion, pro-business conservative actually chose to have a conversation with each other, if you can imagine such a thing. There probably wasn't enough laughter for that. Anyway, so... They're having this conversation that they should not be having by all social norms. But for this woman at the well, her own people won't even talk to her. She's there in the middle of the day getting water because she's avoiding being there in the morning with the other women who are getting water in the cool of the post-dawn. And Jesus knows why. And he talks to her about it. He talks to her about her hurts and her mistakes and the life situation that those mistakes and that hurt have led her into. The Samaritan woman is confused and amazed and transformed. I want to pick it up at the end of their conversation in John chapter 4, starting in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, for the first time, mind you, this is the first time he says this. He tells this Samaritan woman, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were off getting him food in town. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. The very people she was avoiding this morning She's now running up to this afternoon saying, you have got to come see this guy. You've got to come hear from him. He's changing everything. One-on-one disciple-making conversation leads to a growing community. One woman let Jesus transform her and let her story transform a community. What might you be willing to let Jesus transform in you? Would you be willing to let your story transform your community? 
And none of this was by accident. Jesus chose this woman and this community, even though they had very little in common with him. See, in modern America, and I would suggest especially in modern American Christianity, we have one primary qualification for community. That if we're going to be in community together, we want it based on this above everything else. Our world's communities are built on commonality. We want to have as much in common as possible. Community feels safer, more appealing, more self-affirming if we agree on all the things that are important to me. To the point that if you disagree on something important to me, mask or not, vax or not, tax or not, facts or not, you've got to go. Because we can't be in community. And if you won't go, then I have to go. Because if we can't agree on the things that are important to me, then I can't be in community with you. Communities like that are built on conforming so that we fit and we agree. But communities that conform don't transform. So gospel communities are built on intentionality. They're built on purpose. Doing life intentionally with people who don't agree on everything. Intentionally doing life with people who look and sound and act and even believe differently than we do. Choosing to set aside our fears of what might rub off on us or our children or of what others might think in order to love all those who Jesus loves. Consistently through the Gospels, we see Jesus making intentional decisions about who to hang out with. Choices that went against social expectations. From the woman at the well in John 4, to tax collectors and prostitutes, and other people that the religious elites of his day called scum. But Jesus was trying to love people, not win popularity contests. Now, a side note, his aim was to love people, not to be unpopular. You may be unpopular because you're a jerk. That's different. We're not aiming to be unpopular, aiming to love people and leaving the popularity contest alone. For those of us who are called to be disciples of Jesus, to be with and to be like and to do like Jesus, we follow in his footsteps. And that may mean going against the expectations and the expected purposes of community. One of the reasons we like groups of commonality is because when we all agree, the things we do and say get lots of nodding heads and pats on the back. It's so nice to know that the things we do and say, I mean, it's nice for all of us. We love knowing that the things we do and say will get lots of cheering or hearts on social media. We all like applause and affirmation, so our communities are built for it. 
Our world's communities strive for affirmation. Do what you have to do to get the affirmation. And sometimes you get that affirmation by being really great at something and showing it off. Sometimes you get that affirmation by telling people what they want to hear. That's certainly how people get elected. And sometimes we're seeing a rise now in communities where you get the most affirmation by being the most authentic and real and raw. That in these communities, you get the most affirmation if you're the messiest, most messed up person in the room. None of these things, authenticity, knowing what's right and true, being good at something, none of these things are bad. But when the point of our communities becomes to be affirmed in those things, in this structure of community, you become or you conform to whatever is needed to get the affirmation. Be successful, be real, be right, no matter the cost. But groups that create this kind of conforming will not be experiencing the transformation of God. Groups that conform don't transform. The people in them don't transform. The community around them isn't transformed. Transformation happens in groups more focused on growing than affirming. And that's why gospel communities strive for accountability. Our world communities strive for affirmation. Gospel communities strive for accountability. Let's pause there for a second before I explain what I mean. So if you started to drift off into daydream land, come back for just a second. Because I think the word accountability is maybe the most useful word in our Christian language. Not even the act of accountability, just, just the word of accountability I think is incredibly useful because how you react to the word accountability is a super helpful indicator. So let's take a moment in the room and at home, let's pause and just check in with ourselves on how we react to the word Community. I just want to ask us a couple questions to help us process it. How do you react to accountability? What rises up in your heart or in your mind? What happens in your body? Do you lean in? Do you push back? Do you daydream so you don't have to think about it? What happens in you when you hear the word accountability? One step further. What in your life do you not want to be accountable for? That is the word accountable scrambles through your heart and mind and life. You're saying, that's fine. I can be accountable. I can be accountable. And then it gets near that one area and you go, yeah, not that. What area are you hoping you don't have to talk to anyone about? 
None of this is intended to shame or make you feel bad in any way. I would like to suggest that whatever is coming to mind, whatever is happening in you, whatever area comes up for you, that that, friends, is God's Holy Spirit drawing attention to an area of your life that he wants to transform. And he wants to transform your relationship with him. People don't create the greatest transformation. God's Holy Spirit does. But gospel communities are made up of people who will seek truth together and who will dole out grace like it's candy. You may think of accountability as people calling you to make you report on all the bad things you've done, but accountability is so much greater than that. A good accountability partner or group is full of truth and grace. They're reminding you of what's true about God, about you, about your life and your circumstances. They're focused on motivating you to live out that truth and encouraging you that you can, in fact, live a life full of grace and truth. The author of Hebrews, a little later in the New Testament, puts it this way, Hebrews chapter 10. They write, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So we engage with community, striving for accountability, reminding each other what is true, and motivating and encouraging each other to be like and do like Jesus. And we show up with all of our authenticity, with everything that is real, with our successes and the things we do well, with our failures, with what we know to be right and true. We show up with all of those things, not seeking affirmation, but seeking after accountability. We seek the accountability of truth-telling, grace-giving people. Now look, the word accountability makes me recoil. My chest gets tight. My stomach gets tight. I don't like it. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk to somebody about having to be accountable. I don't really want to be around it. I don't want to. But I'm a part of a pure desire group where we check in with each other every week about the lowest moment in our week. I have a friend that I'm checking in with regularly. I have a spiritual director, which is like a relationship counselor, specifically for my relationship with God, who's holding up the truth of who God is and who God says I am. And these folks encourage and motivate me, and they hold me to the truth in grace. But I want to point out that I had to choose these folks. I, I couldn't wait for them to miraculously appear. I suppose like all miracles, sometimes God steps in and he will provide for you the community you need to be accountable to. But most of us are going to have to choose. I call them 
I don't wait for them to call me. I'm honest with them. I don't make them drag it out of me. I still don't like it. The phone calls, we're supposed to make three weekly phone calls for our Pure Desire group. And I try to come up with every reason to procrastinate those and not do them. I don't like it, but I'm convinced that disciples of Jesus choose intentional relationships and that we pursue accountability with one another. I'm convinced that these choices are a step that Jesus calls all of us to take. Now, when I read that passage from Hebrews about gathering together, if you're familiar with that passage, you probably have been introduced to it in the context of encouragement to go to church, right? Let us not neglect gathering together has meant in many a sermon over the years, get in here, sit here in a big room with a whole bunch of people. I think that is a part, a part of the community God calls us to. I believe there are at least three different types of community that everyone needs, actually, whether we're following Jesus or not. And we see this modeled by Jesus. We've been in the Gospel of John, moving to the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 8, we see Jesus commission his 12 disciples. He sends them out to do ministry in his name. And from that moment forward, we see the 12 everywhere throughout the New Testament. These are the people that he has chosen to do life with. These are the people that he chooses to invest in. They are everywhere in his life and mission from then on. In Luke chapter 10, two chapters later, we see Jesus send out 72 disciples. Jesus had a larger group of people that he connected himself to that included the 12, but I mean, 60 of these people were not, were not part of his inner circle, but were important connections to him. So Luke 8, 12 disciples. Luke 10, he sends out 72. Sandwiched in the middle, in Luke chapter 9, is a story about Jesus and his three closest friends. Peter, James, and John were part of the 12, but Jesus would occasionally invite the three of them into even deeper friendship. It's a story that has gone down in church history as the transfiguration. And I just want to read a snippet of this story. Starting in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. To these three, to Peter, James, and John, Jesus fully reveals himself and who he is. Not to the whole 12, not to the 72, not to the crowds of thousands who came to hear him preach, but to these three, he fully revealed himself, full authenticity. We all need confidants in our life who know everything. All are good, bad, and ugly. We don't need everybody to know all of it. 
We need somebody to know everything. So three levels of community modeled by Jesus that we all need. Connections, like Jesus and his 72. Companions, like Jesus and the 12. And confidants, Jesus and Peter, James, and John. Connections, companions, and confidants. Don't get too hung up on the numbers here. Maybe you have one or two confidants or five. Maybe your companions that you're doing life with are six people or eight people or 19 people. Connections probably is larger than 72. It can't be bigger than about twice that. Uh, Studies show uh, that we can feel connected, really connected to about 150 to some studies say up to 200 people. There's a study done of people and their Facebook friends. They'd ask somebody with say 2,000 Facebook friends. And they say, well, how many of those 2,000 people do you really feel connected to? And that number would be about 150 to 180 on average. So they'd ask people with 200 Facebook friends, how many of those people do you really feel connected to? Well, based on percentages, we're looking for about 15 to 18. But their answer was also 150 to 180. We have large group connections that we're a part of. People from all over our different walks of life. We have companions, small groups that we're doing life with, and we have very close community. This is the community that every human being needs. I would argue this is the community that most human beings have to some degree, certainly starting at connections. Every person needs these levels of community, of of authenticity, of companionship, of, of just recognizing their connections in the world. These become gospel communities as you choose to make them so. Do you have an inner circle of people who just nod and smile and tell you that you're right and the other person is wrong? Or do you have close people who know everything and respond with grace and truth, encouraging you to grow and be transformed by God? If you're not sure when the last time is that somebody you love told you you were wrong, you have deeper relationships to engage in. Do you have a group of people that you're doing life with, even if they don't know each other? I know a woman who is uh, sick right now, and she's gathered people from all kinds of different walks of life to go through these ups and mostly downs with her. A lot of us don't know each other, but she has companions walking through life with her. Do you have people that you're intentionally accountable to? Do you have connections built on as many commonalities as possible? Or do you have connections with people who don't know Jesus? People who vote differently, think differently, have different life experiences than you so that they can help you grow and be transformed by God's spirit. 
Do you have connections with people who don't know Jesus that you're seeking to share Jesus's love with, that you're hoping to see your relationship with them move from connection to companion so that you're walking through life together so that you can be there in their ups and downs and in yours and you can be pointing them toward Jesus in any way that you can? Do you have intentional accountability-seeking, Jesus-love-sharing gospel community in your life? Here's a couple action steps to help move this forward in this next week. Step one would be to simply name your intentional relationships. Like, who are you intentionally choosing to be in relationship with? You name your connections in in broad swaths of people, if that's helpful. If you're a part of East Hills, write down East Hills. Maybe write down your coworkers, maybe by name or just as a group. Write down people you actually interact with on social media. Not just follow, not just know what they're up to, but actually engage with. Maybe write down the barista or waiter that you see regularly. They know your name, you know theirs. They know like how you like your coffee. You know how their kids are doing in college. Who are you going through life with? Who are the companions that you're walking through life with? Write them down. If the answer here is no one, I'm lonely. And actually, it kind of sucks that you're talking about this today because I hate this. I'm not sure how to express that my heart breaks for you. Loneliness is a painful thing and community is hard. Who are you connected to that you could reach out to, maybe a coworker or a neighbor or a church connection and say, hey, would you go to lunch with me? I'd like to walk through life with you. And then who are the people you share everything with? No one? Why not? I mean, really ask, why not? Why can't I think of somebody that I share vulnerably with on a regular basis? Who could you ask to move from being in your 12 to being in your three? And look, Building community is hard. It's like any other skill, and it is a skill. Uh, Unless it comes naturally to you, you're not going to be good at it at first. Or maybe you're not going to be good at it for a long time. Be okay with doing this poorly. Give yourself lots of grace. Give others lots of grace for the awkward moments, for the times when somebody says, no, I don't really want to do lunch with you. Be okay with doing this poorly because you have to seek this out. If we're following Jesus, disciples of Jesus choose intentional 
relationships. So after you name your intentional relationships, fill in the gaps on purpose. Fill in the gaps and do it on purpose. Be intentional about building community in your life. No one can do this for you. But I believe Jesus will do incredible things for you through the community you engage in. And as we engage in gospel community, transforming community, I believe Jesus will do incredible things, not only for you, but for the community around you. I want to pray for us as we seek to do this together. Father God, would you place in our hearts and minds people that we can reach out to and connect with? People who we could accompany through life. People we could trust to share our good and bad and ugly with. Father, would you give us the courage to step into these intentional choices as you did? Would you give us the wisdom and clarity to know what steps to take next? God, would you give us grace for ourselves and each other as we stumble through this? God, would you bring people around us who will speak the truth into our lives, the truth of who you are and who you say we are, who will encourage and motivate us? God, would you bless us with a community that yes, affirms us and holds us accountable. That we have some things in common and some things that are different and we're transformed by you together. God, would our community and how we engage in community with one another be glorifying to you, revealing of your love would you be praised through our words and actions and the way that we love? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.